Michael Malice here. Let that be your welcome for the next hour. We have with us once again, my very good friend, host of Part of the Problem, one third of the Legion of Skanks, star of the number one comedy special Libertas, Dave Smith uh, is with us today. And I usually avoid this subject on this show because I hate it. But we're going to get into it a little bit because this is so much more up your alley, which is the Libertarian Party. Oh, I had a feeling. Yeah. So I let, let me talk about how I approach the Libertarian Party. I approach the Libertarian Party, and this is just good, useful advice for everybody, the same way I look at publishing. There is a big myth in publishing, certainly in, as of 2020 and several years prior, that an independent publishing house is an advantage over publishing your own book. It is not. It's the worst of all worlds. Because not only are they not going to give you any money for an advance, they do not have the capacity to get you into bookstores. They can get you on Amazon, so can you. Uh, they're going to take all your royalties and give you nothing in return. They are going to give you edits. You can hire your own editor at a fraction of the cost. They're going to take you a lot of time to get it to market. You can do, get it to market yourself. So it's lose-lose. There's a reason they are independent publishers, unless... It's like a niche house that is like, like Hay House. Hay House is known for publishing health books, right? So they're sp small on purpose. They're doing a specific thing. But in a broad sense, like novels or other things, it's a complete disaster and, and a waste of time. And that's how I look at third parties. Because for me, look at Trump. Trump seized the party apparatus of one of the two major parties. Uh, there's many other, Gary Johnson won twice as a Republican governor of New Mexico. That is not a minor accomplishment. He was a businessman. Getting the nomination is no small feat. He got the nomination and he won election and he won re-election. Um, so there's many examples, uh, Justin Amash, you know, who many libertarians like, Thomas Mass, who libertarians like, uh, ran as Republicans, got elected as Republicans. They were gonna try to run as libertarians or independent. They would have a, a long road to hoe. Uh, the Angus King is an independent serving as a senator for Maine. He was the governor of Maine, you know, as an independent. So th th these are uh, things that people need to consider. Now, historically, the argument is, okay, the third party is not going to get elected, but they're going to pull one of the two parties in the right direction. Sure, but you could also be one of those two major party people and advocate for those views from within the party and actually get elected and have a position to influence uh, um, policy. So I, I find it this argument that the voting for the lesser of two evils is terrible, true. Voting for the lesser of three, three evils is moral. It's a tough sell. I gotta tell you, it's a tough sell for me. So mm. let's just talk before we get to the good stuff. Like what is your, you joined the Libertarian Party after not being a member for many years. What is it about the Libertarian Party that you hope to have it accomplish? Okay, so I think you're right about everything you just said, <laughs> and it kind of hurts uh, to hear, but you are. You're, you're right about all of that. And, and just to add, and we'll get to the good stuff in a little bit, but just to add that that's been the response that I've heard uh, you know, for the last week. It's like, well, she's still better than Trump and Biden, and it's like, oh, Okay, yeah. but like if Trump had every one of his policies and said, I'll lower your income taxes 0.1% more, that would be better than Trump or, you know, like it, the, the argument just doesn't make any sense. So, by the way, the one that you left out uh, is Ron Paul, which to me yeah. was the most right. successful libertarian movement in, in, I mean, since Ayn Rand, probably Ron Paul woke up more oh, people, yeah. which to me is the whole point of all of this right it's like it's it's we're in the matrix and we're trying to red pill people individually and unplug them and can i make agreeing with you building in a point here are the two scenarios one is maybe joe jorgensen makes the presidential debates which is very unlikely maybe ron paul running as a republican makes the the primary debates which he did and he told Giuliani to his face <laughs> we had a complicity in 9-11 this these are the two scenarios and yeah. everyone can ask themselves which is more conducive towards spreading libertarian ideas. And for me, the data is pretty uh, transparent. Well, okay, so I, I, I agree with all of that. And now I, I have to just add one more point to what you just mentioned with the debates, which this drives me 
crazy that everyone is always in the world of the Libertarian Party hanging their hat on this if we can only get into the debates. We just have to get into the debates and then game changer. And I think they are relying on, well, look what Ron Paul did to Rudy Giuliani. And it's like, okay, fair enough. Ron Paul had major moments in those debates. It, it was incredible. It was incredible to watch. It was like the first time ever in a yeah. presidential debate where there was someone up there saying what you would want them to say, just telling the truth. And he de destroyed people. But, you know, there's a reason why he destroyed people. Number one, they were all defending the empire and yeah. he was against it and he knew everything. He knew more than any, he was just by far the most educated person on stage. Forget even just the principles that he was right on. He knew more. It was like, what do you want to take Ron Paul on on monetary policy? And he's going to start going off on the history of fractional reserve banking and the gold and, and like Chris Christie's next to him. And he's like, uh, what? I, I don't know what you're talking about. They know nothing. You know, when Giuliani takes it, what Giuliani knew is 9-11 bad, Osama bin Laden bad, U.S. troops good. And Ron Paul's like, in 1953, when we organized a coup in Iran, and like Giuliani has no idea what he's talking about. So that was part of it. But he also had that thing. Well, listen. I'm sorry, I got to interrupt you. Because you are like me with Rand. Right. Like, I can rattle off. Oh, you know, this one time in 1925 when Ayn Rand was leaving her party in St. Petersburg, this guy pulled her aside, blah, blah, blah. And then in I saw that tweet. Right. Like, tweet. So I'm not even exaggerating. So yes. to have you be like, no, no, no. Like, you have all the receipts. Well, is this amazing. Is, I, well, this this is my origin story, much like yeah. Rand is, is yours. Um, but now, now, listen, I understood when there was a move for Tulsi, uh, Tulsi Gabbard, to when she was excluded from a few of the debates, and there were these campaigns like "Let Tulsi Gabbard Debate." That made sense to me because look, I mean, look what she did to Kamala Harris, and look, and she was she would go hard. I I thought she could have done better, but she would have moments, you know. When in 2016, when the Libertarians were like, "If we can just get Gary Johnson into the debates," like, please explain this to me. Then what? He debates Trump and Hillary. What? What, what do you think would have happened to Gary? It would have been the worst thing for Gary Johnson to be placed on a debate stage with Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Hillary would have known 10 times more than he knows, and Trump would have hit 10 times harder than he hits. It, it would have been a nightmare. So that just drives me crazy. And I'm, I'm not exactly sure what people think Joe Jorgensen is going to do if she gets into the debate stages. Anyway, let me just address the thing you said first. So you're right, but it's a little... It's not, you know, uh, we could try to subvert the Democratic or the Democrat or the Republican Party. It's the Republican Party. That's the only option. There's right now for the state of liberty, you're not going into the Democrat Party and convincing them that we should cut, like we should abolish the welfare state or that we should have freedom of association or it's like any of that. J Tulsi Gabbard had the one position of being anti-war and that was enough to make her like almost unacceptable to Endorsed the party. by David Duke. Right, right, exactly. Now, the Republicans at least claim to be for the Bill of Rights and limited government and all of these things, so it's a little bit more possible there. And, and one more thing, the Republican Party in many ways is a lot less organized than the Democrats. The Democrats have been kind of very much, like look what they did with Biden. They're, they snapped their fingers, they got him over. So they really do have that kind of military precision in some capacity. The Republicans are kind of all over the place, Absolutely. so it's a bigger opportunity for the outside. And since they're more of the fan of the citizen legislator, that's more of the opportunity for the outsider to come in and seize uh, oh, uh, this process. 100%. I mean, just l look at the way the Democratic establishment handled Bernie Sanders compared to how the Republican establishment handled Donald Trump. Yeah. They couldn't deal with that guy. Now, there were other reasons, but that's a big part of it. Um, so being that we're in the business of trying to red pill people and spread you know, the, the message, I agree that ideally you would want to take over the Republican Party. However, what happened once Donald Trump got the the presidency is that the republican party that's it there's no more if you're talking about the presidential level which is where you're going to be able to red pill the most people there's no more republican primary in 2020 so then it did seem to me to be like okay well what's the next best thing and there is this party that has ballot access in all 50 states and has the name libertarian in it and so it seemed to me like that is a wor it's worthwhile to try to get someone in that position who could actually be strong, bold, and principled, and maybe wake some people up. Um, so that's kind of why I got interested in the Libertarian Party. Uh, it was first in, in 2016, 
I really looked at it and I said, you know, even though I had, I had been right where you are, I had written the Libertarian Party off and, and been, you know, since the Ron Paul days, it was like, obviously the Republican Party is what we have to take over. But then I took another look at it and I said, wow, there's Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, the candidates with the two highest negatives in the history of polling and a third party that says libertarian. And Gary Johnson is going on these national media tours and people are actually looking at this and going, hmm, what's this libertarian party about? And unfortunately, we had Gary Johnson as the representative and it became a joke. But I kind of thought to myself, man, if the person wasn't a joke, there is some potential there. Um, and so that was my, that's my attitude. But let's play devil's advocate. If it wasn't Gary Johnson, if it was a principled libertarian or even someone who's halfway principled, you know, like maybe someone from Cato or like me, not me to cast a stars like Cato, meaning just a minarchist, right? Someone who's not a radical, they wouldn't have gotten the airtime. I think, don't you think the reason Gary Johnson got the airtime wasn't because, oh, haha, Gary Johnson, because he had the word governor in front of his name. And that's how these people think it's a credentialist game. Uh, there, there's definitely something to that. Um, but, but I would, you know, as, as you know, I, I, I don't think you, you meant to imply this, but you can be a radical minarchist. I mean, Ron Paul was a radical oh, minarchist and, and, uh, as well, but he was, I mean, he, really, you think he's a minarchist? Yes. Okay. Yeah. No, he's been asked point blank about it. Like since he's been out of Congress and stuff and he's kind of always gone like, well, you know, he goes, I'm not completely sure about privatizing every single inch of everything, but I think, but Ron Paul, even though he was like a, a red Murray Rothbard and all that stuff, he was, uh, when he first went to Congress, he said he thought about 70% of what the government did was unnecessary. And he said by the end of Congress, he was like 99% of it is unnecessary. But I think he still holds on to that 1%. Six months. <laughs> it's been a long six months listen listen i can't think of anyone easier to switch from minarchist to anarchist than ron paul well, especially someone who spent that much time from with rothbard on a personal level that's going to be osmosis i agree with you but i'm just making the point okay. that and and murray rothbard there's a piece that I, you should read that I, I highly recommend if you haven't um but it, i believe the title is do you hate the state yes because and, and it's, it's just a masterpiece. And, and basically what he says is that the major, uh, you know, like the, the question that's the most important question is not whether you're a minarchist or an anarchist, it's whether you hate the state. And uh, an anarchist like David Friedman uh, is not as good as a minarchist like Ron Paul could be the example. He's not used in the letter, but someone who really hates the state, hates the warfare state, hates what the state does to people. So anyway, yes, I agree. Uh, if it was someone, uh, if it was, you know, uh, uh, somebody who didn't have the governor term and was more of a threat than Gary Johnson, it might have been harder to get some of that, that media. But you still might have gotten some and you still might have gotten some people to look at you. And that's and then you have to be creative and figure out a way to get the press. And, and you know, there, there's different strategies that you can use. Hey, guys, Michael Malice here. Let me tell you about one of my favorite sponsors and company that's near and dear to my private parts. It's Sheath Underwear. If you go to sheathunderwear.com, S-H-E-A-T-H, underwear.com, and use code MALICE, you get 20% off. What are sheath? It's the most comfortable, softest boxer brief I've ever worn. Here's what makes it unique. They've got one pouch for one part of your genitals, another part for another part of your genitals. It's like a kangaroo pouch for your boys down there. Keeps it nice comfortable and in place they look good they give you a nice booty if you've been doing your squats which i've managed to do under this lockdown they also have girls underwear but since women don't listen to the show we can skip over that part if you go to sheathunderwear.com and use promo code malice you get 20 percent off your order they have a lot of different styles they're all i wear now when they brought them into the office i thought what is this and now i can't wait to wear my sheath 24 7. Let's get back to the show. Uh, it's interesting because you, you did recommend that essay to me and I read it and I, I adored it. And the example he uses is like, do you hate the state? Like meaning if there was a button pre placed in front of you and if you pressed it, the government would end, would you press it so hard your finger would break? Yeah. <laughs> like, like that is the question. And that essay, I didn't realize at the time, was a, an attack or criticism I even on David Friedman's The Machinery of Freedom. It wasn't just a thought experiment. He was specifically going after David Friedman um, and that book. Uh, so it, it's ringing that. But the thing with, with, so let's talk about Joe Jorgensen. So here's what I'm a little confused about. First of all, 
I understand there is this um, concept within any scene, even if it's a music scene or action figures, whatever it is, you're collectible, that like, guys, stop infighting, let's rally the troops, we're all on the same side, right? And you don't need to really say that if someone is like going somewhere. Like the argument is, but for the critics, this person would be doing a lot better, you're, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. That is really a tough uh, thing to make. And here's a counterexample to that. If Hillary had been more um, more press availability leading up to November, she could have gotten a put over because she basically played it safe. She didn't want to deal with conflict or confrontation. And then she wasn't ready for a lot of the stuff that Trump was ready to nuke her with. Uh, when I'd asked you a few weeks before the convention, who were the leading candidates for the nomination, you didn't even mention uh, um, Joe Jorgensen. I got to tell you, I, this is going to sound like a joke and it's not. I am a huge fan of anyone who's wearing shoulder pads as a woman. I am such an <laughs> 80s person, so to see her with them, I like it's, it's the girl version of the bow tie. So to me, that is someone who's being true to herself and, and cares about ideas more than like, I'm gonna be some kind of slick, whatever. But the, the issue that happened is over the weekend, she had tweeted out, it's not enough to be passively anti-racism, we must be actively she said it's not enough to be passively not racist. Right, we sorry, must be actively anti-racist. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. Matter. Um, and I asked her the question you and I had discussed on your show. I said, all right, in, as the libertarian presidential candidate, are you in favor of repealing anti-discrimination laws? Now, people are like, oh, this is the, that's not an important issue. And this has been adjudicated. I agree no one is coming close, uh, and it's certainly not a priority of me to repeal like, like uh, anti-discrimination laws against black people. But the Supreme Court has, just in the last week or two, has extended anti-discrimination laws at a federal level to gay and transgender people. Are you in favor as a libertarian of extending these protections for transgender people? Now, I can, see, I can easily make the libertarian argument for both. One is, the argument against it is, you freedom of association shut up the argument for it is look if we already have this in principle we might as well extend it to people who are very marginalized and a tiny percentage of the population if you're going to have it here you might as well apply it in an equal sense and that way it doesn't look like you're when you're going after this you're only specifically being transphobic so you can make both those arguments she ignored me i have more twitter followers than her uh, i think like double and then a few hours later, uh, they put it, she tweeted again, she goes, um, oh, I don't mean Black Lives Matter, the organization, I mean the movement. And it's like, it's not like there's a 501c3, or maybe there is, but it is very much like Occupy or, or and then the Libertarian Party had their own tweet. They say, look, uh, you know, there's a distinction between one and the other, it doesn't imply uh, um, support of the organization, I said, when you're using capital letters, it does imply the organization because that's a proper noun, just like, you know, with capital L Libertarian Party and lowercase l, a libertarian who subscribes to the ideology. My, my hunch is that she didn't tweet this, that this was some campaign uh, goon, and then they had to, because I went back and did my homework, and I said, okay, is this in line with her thinking? She had never tweeted about race or racism before this tweet. In fact, the only time she mentioned the word race or racism was to promote her own race, when well, she was saying my race for president. Right, um, well, here's the thing. And, and this is what I found out after, cause I got into it with her and I've been, you know, going at her pretty hard over the last few days, is that this oh, was a quote, her. this was a quote from her speech. Uh, oh. She gave a speech and this was one of the quotes in it. So then oh, wow. this was tweeted out. So maybe she didn't write the tweet. That's quite possible. I did not know that. And then someone told me, and I have not verified that this is true, but they said that there's uh, this guy who's a speech writer for her, who's got like his, his like uh, pronouns in his bio and seems to be kind of one of these left libertarian types. Um, so I don't listen. I don't know exactly what, the thought process was before this. I don't think, as, as some have uh, suggested and argued against, I, I'm, I don't think she's like a secret Marxist or something <laughs> like that. Um, but I do think 
there's three aspects to this uh, uh, tweet. It was number one. Uh, it was like the cringiest thing you could possibly say. Just outrageous. Just like oh, it's the type of thing that Bank of America would tweet. It's like what you say when you have nothing of substance to say, and and it just makes your skin you know, crawl. It, it says, "I agree." with whatever everyone else is agreeing with yes. at the moment. Hashtag the party of principle. Right, exactly. <laughs> That's it. Um, and I think part of the reason why it's so cringe, and this is really what I think, I think this gets to the heart of why so many people were upset about this, um, is that it shows, just as you just kind of indicated, it shows that I will bend the knee. Like whatever the mob wants, I'll say, okay, yes, yes, okay, yes, you can have that. You guys are right about that. And that is something that, you know, for, for everybody who's outside of the progressive orbit, they really just want someone to stand up to that. This is why Trump's the president. So they really just want someone to stand up and say, no, this is crap. Um, number two, it's just kind of wrong, like technically from a libertarian standpoint, it, like to say that, if you're not racist, that's still not enough. We must do this. It's like, no, we, we don't, you don't, people don't have an obligation. Uh, it's not true that they must uh, be against something that's bad out there. And then number three, it was just like strategically, it was a horrific blunder. I mean, look at how much she's pissed people off and alienated. She didn't gain one new supporter from doing it, but she turned off just probably thousands and thousands of people who were, who were looking at her. Um, so it was a disaster from start to end. Yeah, here, let's and let's just look at it from a strategic point of view, right? Because this is how I, I look at uh, things in this issue. Let's suppose you're RC Cola and the big boys are Coke and Pepsi. You have to compete. It's something called comparative advantage. You have to be able to compete with Coke and Pepsi on some level. RC Cola, I believe, competes on price. Not that Coke and Pepsi are expensive, but they're cheaper. Fine. I have to differentiate myself. You can't be RC Cola and say, I am the same as Pepsi but Pepsi is more popular. Why am I not choosing Pepsi? Why am I not going for Joe Biden, who has a chance of getting, certainly a much more significant chance of getting elected and getting into the debates than you, if you are going to be repeating his slogans and catchphrases. Now, what she could have done very easily is say something like, when they say Black Lives Matter, we say blank. Or when they say Black Lives Matter, what we mean, and, and you could take an expression and leverage it and make it to distinguish yourself and make it original and make people um, excited about it. But to repeat verbatim what your Facebook friend posts on Facebook is not a mechanism of competing when you're competing for attention and competing for votes and competing for standing. And it shows like a little bit of a lack of, in my view, understanding of the dynamism of the oh. internet. 100%. Uh, and, and just the moment that we live in, I mean, it, it'd be like if a, if, if you tweeted out that, um, I don't know, like, you know, like libertarians might say, hey, we used to not have an income tax and now we have an income tax. And, you know, so so she just said something like, I, you know, I want to um, get back to Americans, America's principles, hashtag make America great again. And people were like, wait a minute, make America great again. That's like Trump's thing. And she's like, right. no, 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 I'm just saying make America great again. What do people associate this? with a popular political movement. I had no idea that that's like what was going on. And, and that dog it, whistling. No, it's like hashtag unite the right. I just want to unite the right. I, I don't understand what the problem is. I'm just saying we need to preserve our heritage. Hashtag unite the right. Where, why are people getting all crazy about this? It's like, no, because there's a context here. Uh, someone from Cato tweeted at you. I think it was at you. Um, and she was like, listen, you can't saying Black Lives Matter is a true statement. It's Black Lives Matter. You can't associate it with the most radical members of the group. And oh, I just tweeted I back. I said, cool. Now do all lives matter. Like, oh, okay. Well, no, no. If oh, there's wait, no wait, association. Let's talk about that one. That one, that tweet, that really bothered me. I went on a three-tweet tear on that. That really, to me, is despicable and disingenuous from both the right-wing and the left-wing perspective. And here's why. First of all, for, uh, as someone who is from the, uh, a libertarian think tank, if you're going to be comfortable dismissing fringe ideas, shut up and go home. Because for decades, that was the argument being used against you. No one thinks like this. You guys are loons. You can't be for this and also for this. Ha, ha, ha. You're ridiculous. That is a, a, a horrifying. Second, if you are advocating for 
a movement, let's not talk about the organization as if there's some big distinction, which we can get to in a second, a movement that says, hey, black lives are underappreciated in this country. They're treated as disposable. Here's some receipts, black mortality rates, black lifespan, college graduates. You could bring a lot of numbers and say, this is, we're not just talking about, forget the cops, we're not, across the board. This is a big issue that we all have to deal with. You can't fight for marginalized people. And then the second you say, oh, we're just gonna marginalize these ideas, they don't matter. So when you have a population that's a smaller percentage of the general population, you're supposed to make it a point to hear them out and welcome them. But when you have a viewpoint that's held by few, oh, by few percentage of the population, oh, don't listen to them, they don't really matter, they don't speak for anybody. No, no, those are the only ones who do matter. It's the people who are on the margins who make change and make people think. And uh, everyone in this country uh, who is marginally aware of politics now has thought about and considered the concept of defunding the police. This was not done by Joe Biden. This was not done by McDonald's. This was done by radical activists taking control of the megaphone and forcing people to confront the issue. Absolutely. Um, and uh, I just don't, you know, at part of me was almost kind of like, at first I was like, is this like some autistic libertarian thing where there's a bunch of people who just don't get right. that this carries like the phrase, you know, you can't be racist, you must be anti-racist and Black Lives Matter, that this carries a lot of weight and, and like this kind of means something that is not libertarian in our current dynamic. But then as I'm, as I'm talking to more of these people, it is, like I said, no, if, if she had said all lives matter, they would completely get why that is not just the statement, all lives matter. That is a counter to black lives matter. And that's what all lives matter means in our political moment. And you would all get that. So it's not just like autism. It's kind of this... It's like you're propagandized that we always have to cater and pander to the left-wing viewpoint on things. So we always have to say that they must have the best intentions. Now, again, if somebody had, uh, as I said in the example, had a hashtag, uh, unite the right, and you would right away go, yeah, but some woman got murdered at unite the right. And so if someone else was like, yeah, but think about all those people who didn't murder. Think about how, you know, how it was mostly peaceful. No one would say you're just letting one fringe voice control. You know what I mean? You'd be like, no, that's a big thing that that happened there. Okay, well, if you want to separate the organization Black Lives Matter, which is founded by Marxists, avowed, trained Marxists, uh, who want a revolution and to, to overthrow capitalism, um, okay, it's not that. We're talking about the people in the streets. Well, okay, there's been way more than one murder associated with the people in the streets. Yeah. There's been vandalism, looting, assaults. There's been a uh, seizing of other people's property, uh, extortion. Yes, exactly. I mean, so, okay, so fine. The organization has nothing to do with the people marching under the same name as the organization. Like, uh, okay, well, I mean, but like, right, by this logic, some, like, you know, the American Nazi party can't be associated with Adolf Hitler's Nazis because, I mean, they didn't kill any of those Jews over there. They just have an organization with the same name. I Like, the logic would not apply to anything else. But also, even if we're taking you at your word, what exactly about the, the protests is it that, like, you know what I mean? Like, there's, there's still a lot of weight there. And I, I don't know. I don't think it's a particularly, uh, 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 something that libertarians want to just say, oh, yes, we're lockstep with them. Their definition of what anti-racism means is, I mean, they lay it out, and it is not at all libertarian. It's just funny because it's like, oh, well, that's not what Judge Jorgensen meant, but by questioning her, you're a Klansman. It's like, that's interesting. So, like, you're a, you're a psychic, but only in, like, one direction, and that's the direction that suits you and lets you get away with Look. Hey guys, Michael Malice here. Want to tell you about Beachbody On Demand. This is the company behind things like P90X, which you've heard of, 21 Day Fix, which you may have heard of, Insanity. Everyone who listens to the show has heard of Insanity. I can guarantee you. Um, if you text Malice to 303030, you get full access to the entire platform. You get all the workouts. You get all the nutrition information. You get all the support absolutely free. Here's how it works. This is what I did. They did something very smart. You become a member. 
you go online, they've got over 1,300 different workouts you can stream. All kinds of fitness levels, weight training, cardio, yoga, dance workouts. Here's a few classes that they have now. They've got P90X with Tony Horton. They've got Transform 20 with this guy named Sean T. You could have different program lengths, six weeks, six days a week, 20 minutes each, or a six-day program. Find someone who looks like you want to look. Saki Kalev, he's a big shot in bodybuilding. He's got a show called Body Beast. It's a 90-day program, six days a week. Find someone who looks like how you want to look like. Look at their program. They'll have the videos to show you how to do it, and you'll be on your way to getting your beach body. If you text MALICE to 303030, you get to try it absolutely free. Let's get back to the show. It is really shocking to me for anyone who calls himself a libertarian to pretend that politicians of any kind, no matter what color, red, blue, or gold, aren't going to be talking out of both sides of their mouth um, and aren't going to be uh, putting forth a message that will sound differently depending on the audience. I think it was Walter Lippmann or Edward Bernays, one of those two. They were the two big founders of public, uh, Walter Lippmann wrote a book called Public Opinion, Bernays wrote one called Propaganda. These are back in the day. And they analyzed, um, Charles Evans Hughes' 1916 speech when he became the Republican nominee for president, or it could be a governor's speech when he was running for governor of New York. I forget which one is which. And the guy said, looking at this speech, no matter where I was on these issues that he mentions, I would think he's agreeing with me. Like, it's like a masterpiece of double talk. In the same way that people for a long time have said, not incorrectly, that states' rights was often code for Jim Crow. And a lot of times states' rights is code for, we want to have marijuana and have our state be different from yours, or it's a code for what you like, Romney care, right? Massachusetts has single payer, you have a different, we're going to have the states be different laboratories. Um, so it's, it, and it was Eric, it was Eric or Brett Weinstein, I forget which one, hit the LP about this. It was Brett. Go, yeah. It was Brett. They oh, go, no, 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 it was Eric. I'm it sorry. It was Eric. Okay. He goes, this is your Mott and Bailey position. Mott and Bailey, I discussed this in my book, is... You make a ridiculous claim. When you're called on it, you retreat to a position that's unambiguous. And then when that's agreed with, you pretend that the original claim had been proven. For example, you'll say, uh, you know, racism is unprecedentedly evil in America. And you go, what, what are you talking about? Oh, you're saying there's no racism? No, I'm not saying that either. All right, so racism is an unprecedented terror in America. So that's this kind of dance that they do. So it was the same thing uh, um, being done here. I think, and I want to hear your thoughts. I threw this theory out. Cernovich liked it. Um, I think there is a concerted effort. I'm going to get my tinfoil hat on. Uh, I don't have one at arm's length. Um, <laughs> I usually do have things at arm's length. I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on and say, I suspect there is a, uh, I'm going to use the most dog whistling term possible because it's you and I talking, cabal of people within the Libertarian Party who have decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to alienate the people we don't like by stuff like this. And that's our best way for seizing and maintaining hold of the party. Uh, I, that is very possible. There is a view amongst a lot of people uh, who are higher ups in the LP. And this is true in just establishment libertarianism in general. Um, what Lou Rockwell calls the regime libertarians uh, who are kind of accepted, um, you know, the, the, it, within kind of the Cato Institute, within reason. And, and you know, we, me and you both have a lot of friends in these organizations. I'm not trashing everyone who's a part of them. But there is this view that they'll at least, this is at least the claim. I don't know what they really think behind the scenes, but they think that people like me, uh, people like you, uh, what they would consider right, wing libertarians um, are toxic on a national level. And that if, you, if we are going to be serious about this, we have to really prove to people that we don't have these racist types you know, who, who are with us. Now, this is what they always believed. And they always thought that people like Ron Paul, they were like, are you nuts? He associates with Lou Rockwell and the Mises Institute. They, you know, they like Murray Rothbard, who once said some okay things about David Duke, will get destroyed if we run people like that. What's shocking to me, I can almost understand thinking this in 1999. What's shocking to me is that Ron Paul did not 
disprove all of this forever. Because then Ron Paul ran and got more attention and drew more people in than any of the Reason Magazine, Cato Institute types could have ever hoped to do. What about Trump? Trump is objectively far more racist than Ron Paul. He says things that are far more offensive, far more inappropriate. Like everyone who supports him has to walk back things that he said at one point or another. And he won. And they still, they still cling to the narrative that he's destroying the Republican Party and that this is, you know, it's, it's a nightmare. His racism is turning so many people off. They all still believe this. And what's crazy to me about the, 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 the LP is that you'll have people like me or Tom or, you know, like other, Eric July, you, Maj Tour. I mean, I know you're not a member. Eric's not a member either. But these people who have these big audiences have huge followings and they'll still be like, oh, no, no, no. These people are toxic. And you're like, well, you have no following. So clearly it's not true that you're bringing all of these people in and we're going to exclude all of these people. But uh, this is what Nick Sarwak uh, even said to me when he was on my podcast where I was like, you know, I I said, I don't understand why as the chair of the LP, you would look at someone like me or Tom Woods and not be like, oh, absolutely. I want to get them on board because they have a huge audience of libertarians who listen to them. Why would we not? And he said something along the lines. He goes, well, Dave, I might be able to get the hundred thousand people that listen to your podcast, but if that turns off a million other people, then I don't want, you know, it's not worth it for me to bring it. So that's their mindset that this will turn people off if we're there. I just don't see the evidence of that. And, and I, I'm not sure that that's actually what they believe or if that's just an excuse to give themselves to kind of hold power themselves and not let other people take over the party. Using the word power very loosely. I remember I was at speaking at Fee and, and all the speakers were on stage and were taking questions from the kids. And uh, one of the other speakers made the point that, you know, he felt Ayn Rand is very off-putting to many people, which is indisputably true. And he, I asked him point blank and he said flat out that Ayn Rand has been a net negative in promoting libertarian ideas. That if Ayn Rand didn't exist, more people would be libertarian now than if she hadn't exist. And when you hear someone say with a straight face, and I know the guy, I know he wasn't uh, being provocative. I know he wasn't uh, uh, a complete loon, or at least broadly speaking. And I'm like, okay, like at a certain point, you really can't reach someone if their perspective is so skewed. And what I think it comes down to and this is something I've had to, I've worked very hard to develop uh, and, and tried to work as much as possible, is most people have a profound lack of empathy. They are completely unable to see other perspectives. And they'll say like, this is how I think, therefore, or normal people think this way. And then they're going to surround themselves with friends who think the same way. And they'll be like, is this how you think? Is this how you think? Oh, so basically everyone who's normal thinks this way. So yeah, that's why you can see him coming up with a straight face with, yeah, you bring 100,000, but there's a million waiting that are being uh, put off by you. However, to counter that, if that were the case that you're alienating these million people, the only people I see going after him, after you, are people like Nick Starwark and people who are on the LP themselves. So there would be a lot of Republicans and Democrats saying, you know what? I would be more conducive to this message if you weren't so welcoming to people like Dave Smith. I have not seen those people. You see it a lot with the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. I want to vote Republican. I can't vote Republican with this guy in the White House. Or I want to vote against Trump, but this is who you're giving me, Biden? You see both of those often. I have never seen anyone other than people who are already Libertarian Party members saying, I would be a member of this party, but for the likes of people like Dave Smith and and Tom Woods or whoever. Well, the yes, and and but that's their justification that if right. we don't go after these people, eventually someone will. So we better make these people as toxic as possible. Um, again, I just don't see any evidence. All I see is is people like Sarwak alienating the people with the biggest followings uh, in in the liberty movement. Um, but you know, what I do see evidence of is like the Atlantic running an article using that Nazi pledge as evidence that the libertarian has a Nazi problem. Where they're like, oh, well, if you guys didn't have a problem with racism, why would the chair be out there insisting that people sign this letter? And so all it does is blow up in their face. But the truth is, to me, once you recognize that the goal here isn't, and this is really was at the heart of my debate with Nick Sarwak, where I was like, the goal is to wake more people up and, and convince more people that a free society is a better society and they should want that. The goal isn't to get more votes. 
Like if you get votes, like Gary Johnson got a lot of votes. What did, what good did that do to us? You know, Nick said at one point, and, and he was saying this uh, as like a, a, an argument for how, what a success Gary Johnson was. He said, you know, 80%, something like that, of the people who voted for Gary Johnson weren't libertarians. And his point is like, so look, he can talk to people who aren't libertarians, whereas you guys are going to seem crazy. Some radical is going to seem crazy to them. And my counter to that was I said, yeah, 80% of the people who voted for Gary Johnson weren't libertarians, and they're still not. So what did we win? What did that get us? Like, I don't, did the party get more funding or something? Like, I don't care about that. What I care about is actually moving toward a free society. And to do that, we have to convince more people that they want to move toward a free society. So somewhat to me, someone like Ron Paul, who, or Ayn Rand, who might take these positions that on their own are very controversial positions. But when they, when you ask them about it, they don't run away from it. They don't back down and they go, look, this is my philosophy and this is what I believe. And if it leads me to an unpopular opinion, then I will stand for that unpopular opinion. And that inspires people. It inspires people when you're willing to say something, you know, you believe in something, even if it takes you into a dangerous area. And so all the like gotcha things with Ron Paul, when they'd be like, oh, so you're for freedom of association, they never really stuck um, because you could just tell this guy really believed it. Uh, the, the Republicans, you know, Ron Paul was a Republican through the 70s and 80s, and he was advocating legalizing heroin. And they would be, you know, like imagine being a Republican in 1984 advocating and, and they'd be like, oh, what? So you want to see heroin in the street? And then people would look at him and be like, you really think that this Christian country doctor is like trying to use heroin or something? Like, what's the accusation here? It's no, he just believes in freedom that much. Yeah. <laughs> so something interesting happened uh, since we last spoke uh, were two interesting anecdotes and, and, um, uh, I was on the Dennis Miller show and it went extremely well and it really threw me for a loop because when there's someone who you like and admire and they're being complimentary of you and in an effusive manner, like psychologically, I don't know how to handle it. So it was, it really took me aback and it was very, very flattering and humbling. As a result of this, yesterday was my birthday. Oh, that's, I, I'm sorry. Happy birthday, brother. Thank you. Thank you. I, sometimes I'll wake up you know, in the middle of like 7 a.m., go on the computer quick, go to the bathroom and go back to bed. And like, I won't remember what I did in the computer and whatever. And when you're verified, I'm not saying this to rub it in your face, but when you're verified, Twitter has a verified tab. So that tab will give you notifications only from other verified people. And I suspect that's how a lot of people like at CNN or whatever, uh, we use their Twitter. I look at my verified tab and I just see a notification, Jeb Bush followed you. <laughs> now, my immediate reaction when I see someone like Jeb Bush followed you is like some troll account or whatever, some anonymous account, but it's in the verified tab. And I'm like, okay, maybe he, there's a lot of people like this who they follow like a hundred thousand people. They have a bot and then they unfollow them. And basically that's a way to build their audience, you know, or just, just have lists that they end up following. So just look, and I look and he follows like 300 people and I'm one of them. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I didn't know what to do with this information. I got to tell you, I'm sitting there and I'm like, Jeb Bush, how does Jeb Bush, Bush know who I am? And I'm like, I have to do this. I slid into his DMs. I had to do it. I, and I was very polite. I said, you know, governor, you know, blah, blah. Uh, and he goes, yeah, I saw you. I heard you on Dennis Miller. And like he said, I thought you're interesting cat. Happy birthday. And I was like, I don't know what time and but here's the thing let's talk about the libertarian people if like megan mccain follows me and i and she and i are acquaintances if jeb follows me if these people follow me and it moves the needle in their minds a little bit that's literally saving lives right and that's no mean feat if we want to talk persuasion uh you can it's very hard for me to make the argument that people like who are members of the, just randos of the LP are going to have more of an impact on our political discourse than you or I will. Yeah. 
No, that's that's a very good point. That's, that's such a funny like energy. I mean, I remember back before I think you know she started hating me, but back when I used to do shows with Megan McCain, like on Kennedy and stuff, we, we were on a lot. And it's always like like talking to Jeb Bush too. I bet it's just like this. Not that you'd actually say it, but you just have almost this energy. Like you're talking to Megan McCain, you're like, Haha, that's a pretty good point, Megan. Your father's a war criminal. Um. So anyway, you, know, that, you just that, like that, have this. That, I'll, I'll tell you a counterexample. I was at Yale University maybe 10 years ago. There was a talk a buddy of mine was giving, and Neil Bush was there, Jeb's uncle, a brother of H.W. Mm -hmm. And he charmed. I went in there. I, I was being all smartass, blah, blah, blah. He, this was, no, this was 20, 2008. He charmed the pants off me. Like, these blue bloods, they know how to talk to you, and he was effortless, and I'm like, oh, my God, I totally get why your dad was a senator, why your brother's a president, why your son's a president. They know, maybe they go to some schools that you and I aren't welcome to. Maybe it's in these country clubs where we're not allowed yeah. to step foot. He knew exactly how to talk with me. I was trying to press his buttons. It was effortless on his part. I asked him about skull and bones. You know, he laughed it off, just talked about it. He did not get offended at all. And it was shocking because he was not, I've met people in New York who are these like waspy blue bloods and they're like insufferable. And it was not that at all. I was very, very surprised and taken aback. And that's how I became a Dave Smith Republican. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, Michael Malice here. I want to tell you about bluechew.com. B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com. If you use promo code Malice, it's free. All you have to do is pay for $5 shipping. What is bluechew.com? You ready? You ready? It's chewables with the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. Please put in a Boeing sound effect, producer. They can work faster than pills, up to twice as fast. You can take them on a full stomach or in an empty stomach. You get a free online physician consult, so it's cheaper than those other two. It takes a few minutes. You connect, and you get an online prescription quickly. You don't got to go to the doctor. You don't have to have an awkward conversation. You don't have to wait in line at the pharmacy. It ships directly to your door in discreet packaging, and they're made in US and A, prescribed online. It'll give you confidence in bed, which listeners of the show sorely need. If you go to bluechew.com, B-L-U-E-Chew.com, and use promo code MALICE, all you got to do for your boner pills is $5 for shipping. Not too shabby. Let's get back to the show. No, but it, it, these people, uh, we forget, they will surprise you. Yeah. Uh, Megan was never elected, but like the, the older ones, they, they have been around. They know how to glad hand. Yeah, no, that's that that is interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess it's not. It's it's pretty funny that Jeb Bush. There were all these people around him who uh, were like, "You are the guy. You are going to be the most powerful human being in the world. We have this whole machine. We're going to roll out for you." And now he's uh, sitting around at three a.m. DMing uh, Michael Malice, just kind of like, "Yeah, this is where I, I ended up." I'm going to give him another compliment now that me and him are best friends. <laughs> He comes from as, uh, as aristocratic a line as you can have in this family. Not only is, is from the dad, Barbara Pierce Bush, she's a relation of like Franklin Pierce, who's president. I mean, they're blue, blue, blue. He married a woman who didn't speak English, Columba. You know, so if that crap really mattered to him to that level, that would never happen. Oh, I don't so, know. See, I have a really? more cynical oh, view of it. I have okay. like some Bush family meeting where they're like, look. The, uh, oh, no. Hispanic, the Hispanic demographic is going up in this country. We're going to need you to go marry one of them Hispanics. I need you to learn the language. You'll be president in 2016. <laughs> it's not yeah, impossible. They're, it's they're, not impossible. They're literally people who, you know, murder children. Yeah. I mean, his, dad, his, dad, his uh, dad was head of the CIA. So yeah. and, while in, and lived in China. It was best of China for a bit. So it's not at all impossible. And almost had Reagan assassinated. So... These are things. Did you ever, uh, did you hear that, that there's this conspiracy theory? Okay, I'm just like, I don't know if this is verified or true or anything, but there's this, uh, supposedly, uh, they, um, the guy who shot Reagan, Hankley, yeah. that he, he had an address book on him at the time, and he had Neil Bush's phone number and address, and they were the correct Neil Bush phone number and I, address. I thought it goes even further that the day Hinckley shot Reagan, his dad was meeting with members of the Bush family. Like they were some that big shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it goes even further to that. And where's Jodie Foster in all this? No one asked her if she put him up to it. They just, they just assume that he's crazy. Yeah, no, I, she you was never interrogated. She, I, I'd like to at least ask her some questions. 
That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. Where were you and who were you with <laughs> on the day of January, whatever it was, March or April of, of 1981? Um, the, I am, I, I don't know if I should continue um, going on the attack on Twitter with this woman or not. Because I don't think she's a bad lady, but I'm kind of, what, what's your perception of her? If you had to sell her to somebody, how would you sell her? Well, I don't know that it's my job to sell her. Um, That's why I said if. Right. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm, all right. Fair enough. Um, I don't know. I, I, like you said, I think what you mentioned earlier, it, it, you touched on the really key point, which is that, and a lot of times people in I don't know. I think it's something poisonous about politics. And, and it is one aspect that really turns me off to even being in the Libertarian Party or talking to a lot of these people is that they will have this thing like, well, you can't criticize her now. We're in campaign mode. Yeah. You know, we all got to be together. And you have to be like, yeah, but what's the point of all of this? Because I don't like odds are in January of 2021, it's going to be a Democrat or a Republican who's the president. And when I say odds are somewhere in the range of 99.99%, like it's, that's going to be the reality. And so why would I not criticize her if she's fucking up the point of what she's supposed to be doing? Um, so look, I, I mean, you can, if you are a, a libertarian or an anarchist or anything like that. I mean, if you're just against the wars or concerned about the debt, I think we're coming close to a, a trillion dollars for the monthly deficit numbers. I mean, it's like really something bananas. Like the, the, this great nation is being destroyed and the, the best hope to save it is some type of move back toward liberty. And this woman is out there and she is pretty good on a lot of the most important issues. So I, I will give her that. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully if she can wake some people up and, and convert some people over to believing in freedom, then great. Uh, that's, there's my cell. I mean, Gary Johnson, Tom Woods always brings this up that Gary Johnson did bring over Larry Sharp. Yeah. Like that. So that's, that's something. Yeah. Um, and Larry Sharp has brought over a lot of other people. So in some way that is a credit to Gary Johnson. Yeah. And it is a good guy. Um, mm -hmm. uh, uh <laughs> Are, so on a scale of one to 10, how jealous are you that Jeb Bush follows me now on Twitter? That's an 11, an 11 <laughs> level. Imagine, wait, what would you do if Mitt Romney started following me on Twitter? Would you literally have a stroke? I mean, I would probably tweet something at you uh, to let you know that it, would, uh, it had confirmed it. I would, I would recover. <laughs> I just don't know how to, I haven't started interacting with him. Because uh, a lot of these people who they follow me, I'm always scared they unfollowed. I'm scared to look because um, I followed them back like Belinda Carlisle. I'm, I'm just terrified she unfollowed me because I've been such a fan of the Go-Go's when I was a kid. Um, but it's just a weird uh, situation. And part of me is like, okay, if I'm telling people your mom on Twitter, is that something that's going to offend these types? Or are they going to be like, oh, this is actually really funny? Uh, well, and, yeah, no, I know what you mean, but you just got to put that out of your mind after a while and just be yeah. like, well, you're going to do what you do. So either they're going to enjoy it or they won't. And, you know, your life goes on either way. Um, do you, I, what do you, I, I'm sorry, I'm just losing my train of thought. I'm surprised to what, ex, I'm going to defend Joe Jorgensen now. This is what I was going to say earlier. One of the things I love is when I can say something sincerely, knowing it's going to be upsetting to a lot of people and alienating them. That is trolling at its finest. I am going to make the case, and I think, I, let's see if you agree, that she's right. I wouldn't phrase it the way she phrased it, that we do have to be actively anti-racist. I think part of being for liberty means living those values. And that means that you're not going to have the state to enforce these things. But when you're dealing with people who are in some capacity, bad people, it is your job culturally to enforce those norms. If I had friends who are a minority and another friend comes in and is being just blatantly racist to their face, I'm not gonna be like, well, first amendment, I'm not gonna do well, it. You're gonna go, well, I didn't say it. Right. I am actually going to make it a point to say something and I'm not gonna virtue signal and boast about it and all. Can you believe what happened to me? Blah, blah, blah on Facebook. But I do think it's important to live the values. Yeah, I so I agree with that. Um, the the trouble is that racism has been 
the, the term has been so weaponized and expanded yes. to cover really great people who don't have a hateful bone in their body are still accused of being racist. So you just have to be a little bit more specific these days about what it is you're actually talking about. So there are examples of things that you could call racist that absolutely would be a disgusting thing to do. And if anybody in your life is doing it, yeah, it'd be a nice thing to like say something about that, not just say, well, hey, I didn't do it, you know? So I, I can agree, it, like in the most generous interpretation of what she's trying to say. Sure, I can agree with that. Uh, the problem is that there's lots of behaviors that would fall into what would be called racist today or would be called discriminatory that actually uh, like should you don't need to say anything about and it's and and there is this kind of you know when when you again like i said with make america great or unite the right we live in a world in a culture where you have to kind of go by what's relevant and what it, it means to most people and if they're talking about you know your, your grandfather says some inappropriate old-timey thing at the dinner table. It's not okay to just kind of ignore it and move on. You have to now call him out. and That I don't know that I really agree with. It's like, eh, it, some people have their own weird views, and if you're not hurting anybody, you know, whatever. Um, the thing for the libertarian standard bearer, whether she wants to be or we want her to be or not, that, that's just the reality of the situation. She is that person right now. To say the truth is from a libertarian point of view, even though this is a little bit icky, we do defend your right to have shitty views, even if they are shitty views. That's a more strictly libertarian thing to say than it is to say we must, you know, take on people who have these views. So, I, like, I agree with what you're saying. I also agree with the fact that people have a right, as long as they're nonviolent, they have a right to feel how they feel. Um, I guess I would just have to be more specific of like, what is the situation? What are we actually talking about? Because there are people who would call me and you and do call me and you racist, you know, on social media all the time. And that is just, you know, whatever they mean by that, we are not the person who's treating some black dude shitty at a bar. That's just not who we are. So I, I wouldn't I don't that know. bar. Oh my God, that's how yeah. you know to leave. It's not even a whites only bar. I mean, what the hell's going on? I am so sad that we are not at Freedom Fest today. Yeah, me too. Because uh, I want to hear what the gist of your talk would have been about. Um, well, I don't know. You know, I was going to really, I kind of like don't really plan things out. Like I was going to do a, a comedy show. Um, so I was just going to like try to, you know, I was going to joke about the whole, the lockdowns and the protests and just everything. Um, but I was kind of going to figure it out in the few days beforehand because that's how I like to work. So I found out about a week before that it wasn't going to happen and I just didn't really prepare anything. But yeah, okay. I also, I have a, you know, I have a new hour that I was working on um, that, you, you know, I, I was working on before all the lockdown stuff. So we probably would have done some of that stuff and try to put that together. Are you working toward a new special right now? Well, right now I haven't been doing any shows since all of this uh, uh, happened, but as soon as I, I can get back out on the road, I mean, it's just r right now it's like most of the places that I had gigs lined up, they were like, you know, like, uh, like 50% capacity. And I kind of felt like I'm just going to wait till I can fill up a room again and, and go back out and start really getting into it. Yeah, I have a buddy who's a stand-up comic who you're friends with as well, and he's been touring and he's like, it's really hard when the room's half empty. Yeah. Because laughter is so contagious and it just feels like when you're starting out and he's like, it really does a number on you mentally. So, uh, and, and you've, you've, I'm sure you've seen this many times when you have a room that's kind of against you, then you get a one table who's like licking their pants and then that basically becomes, everyone else starts laughing just like, you know, like, like a yeah. sneeze or something oh, yeah. or a yawn. Um, and there's something, whether if it's a room that fit, you know, seats 80 people or a room that seats 200 people or 2000 people. There's something about having the room laughing. Like it's, yeah. it's the whole thing laughing. And if it's only half the room, it's just, it's not the same. And that's part of the reason you go to a stand-up show. It's you want the experience. You want to be in a part of a room full of laughter as opposed to one-on-one -on -one relationship where like, okay, this guy was really funny. I mean, some people want the latter, but I think most of us, we could get that at home. Uh, I right. want to be in that in part of this kind of group, almost a, uh, uh, joy experiencing joy and humor um and and uh we need more of that i think um i the, what i i was just tweeting this out this morning what they what they have done to my city our city this like sustained prolonged attack is unforgivable and i will never forgive them for it and it really is just makes me very very angry 
I'll tell you, that is the thing that makes me, that pushes me the most to want to support Trump. Uh, is that it's just like for all the things I don't like about Donald Trump, and there's a lot, I mean, there's quite a few. I just think these fucking Democrats deserve to be like launched into orbit and never allowed back on this planet with human beings again. Between spending three years attacking the sitting president of the United States as a Russian uh, asset, a traitor to his nation, when they knew they were full of fucking shit to make that bullshit up and then to destroy the economy and then tell you it's okay to riot, but it's not okay to go to your, you know, uh, like wife sonogram appointment. I just like, I, I don't know. Like, I think they should be kicked out of the country and never allowed back in. Dave, we're running out of time. And by we, I mean America. What has, <laughs> been, <laughs> what has been your favorite part of this episode? Oh, finding out that my boy Jeb Bush follows my boy Michael Malice. He is welcome. Welcome.